0: It's Cardboard Time, episode number 66, and I'm your host, Arwen Cathke. On today's episode, reviews of Tribes of the Wind, Dawn, and Murder We Wrote with an interview on the back end of the show with Dave Beck of Paverson Games that we did live at Origins Game Fair. Looking forward to sharing that with you all. People who watch my social media and keep up with that knew about this for a while, Uh, so that's why it's important that you go and follow those socials. Uh, A Shelf of Shame update, as we always do. I am at 154. That is down by two since the last time that we talked. Three new games acquired. Two of them review copies. Mountains out of Mole Hills and Tapple, uh, we're both sent by the op. I'm looking forward to seeing both of them. Um, Tappel is kind of out of my normal range. It's very much a, a traditional like family, you know, game night kind of game. Uh, but I am kind of curious about it. And then mountains out of mole Hills is more my speed, more of the uh, strategy type game. So, uh, but I am looking forward to seeing both of those and seeing what they bring to the table. And then, Korra Rise of an Empire this is one by yellow that I did purchase Um, it was my guilty purchase of the Amazon Prime days Uh, this is one that um, my friend Adam was talking about uh, quite a lot and said that it was a really really good game and that I had to try it so I picked it up it was cheap it was on sale and I have not purchased a board game on Amazon for quite a while and this was the cheapest I've ever seen it uh component quality so far looks really good it looks like a very dry very bland kind of game uh but that's what I'm into sometimes I really like a a dry bland uh you know type experience so uh looking forward to getting that one out as well hopefully soon. Uh, Five games played off the shelf of shame. Let's start with Beer and Bread. I only got a demo of this at Origins um, with Olivia. Uh, We did talk about it a little bit uh, on the last episode, Um, but I did get a full playthrough of this with Justin and very impressed still. I really, really like this game. Uh, Love this two-player experience, Uh, but (laughs) just going back and forth on this and and the choices that you have to make are really really engaging and i do want to do a full review at some point um but just haven't had the time yet i've had so much going on uh seas of havoc is another shelf of shame game that i got to play this was a kickstarter uh that i got to the table and it was quite a pleasant experience uh i think this one's going to wind up Playing a little bit better uh, multiplayer than it did solo. Uh, There were a lot of considerations that you had to kind of take into play solo. Uh, Not that it was bad, but uh, it got me a flavor of the game. I really do want to try this one multiplayer because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Murder We Wrote and Dawn. um, I got both of those out the other night as well as Clank. Legacy. Um, This one I can't wait to talk about. Um, We are in session one out of ten and this is going to be one that I do want to do a full deep dive on and kind of give you my thoughts of the experience. But right now we're only on the first game so I don't know exactly what it's going to do but already I'm liking it quite a bit. Uh, Murder We Wrote and Dawn Uh, Those are two games that I will be talking about on this episode, as I said, uh, up top. And then finally, the Carnage at the Carnival Final Girl expansion. Uh, This was a review copy from Van Ryder that I will be talking about uh, very soon on the podcast. Uh, But kind of spoilers for what I thought. Uh, Once again, it's Final Girl. I love it. Uh, very thematic, and can't wait to share my thoughts on this with all of you. So let's get right into the reviews. Uh, first up is going to be Tribes of the Winds. This was a 2022 release, two to five players, forty to ninety minutes. Designed by Joachim Thome, and art by Vincent Dutrait published by La Boite de Joux and Hachette. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Hachette, I think we've got nailed down, but La Boite de Joux, um, not quite sure. Uh, in a post-apocalyptic world, the tribes of the wind are going to rebuild the world on a polluted ruins from the past. Players will have to plant forests, build new villages and temples, and decontaminate surrounding areas. They will be able to play cards from their hand, but be careful, the effect or even possibility of playing the card may vary depending on the back of your surrounding opponent's cards. Players may also send their wind riders to explore the area, plant forests, or build villages and temples using all the gathered resources. As the game progresses, you strive to complete objectives that will allow you to unlock your guide's special abilities and to improve your tribe's powers. When someone builds their fifth village, the end of the game is triggered. The player with the most points, depending on pollution, villages, temples, layouts of the forest, and other various objectives, wins. So this was a review copy, just to be transparent, thanks to Hachette. Um... So, just want to make that very clear. Uh, love, love, love the art on this one. This was the the first thing uh, Jamie and I sat down. I believe it was either Gen Con or uh, PAX Unplugged of last year, and that was the big thing that stood out to us about this game. We absolutely love the art on this game, and um, you know, I I can't say enough. Uh, This is very, like, Nausicaa vibes, Uh, if you're an anime fan, uh, definitely just a a lovely, lovely art style. Uh, The card play in this is what kind of drives the unique, um, you know, feel of this game, and the unique uh, things that are going to be going on. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of Hanabi, um, but your card strength is going to be dependent on the back of the opponent's cards. Like I mentioned up in the description, um, there are different things that you can do, uh, based on how many cards are out in play. Um, so it was really, really kind of fascinating. Uh, we played this twice at three players and really we found this mostly a race game to kind of have the most points the quickest. Um, I really did like the efficiency that it forces to get from start to end. So um, my first game, I was just kind of, you know, exploring, doing what I could, you know, just feeling the game out. And I do feel like this is one of those games that you really need that first play of just, I'm gonna go and stay in my own lane and try to figure out, you know, exactly what's going on in this game. Uh, kind of a mulligan game if you will Um, but this really is it it does tend to favor those who are going to end the game quickly and just be super efficient Uh, it's very difficult to uh, kind of defeat somebody who's going to uh, you know drive that quick engine Uh, there are multiple paths to victory uh, but generally your special abilities will dictate a couple of directions that you might want to head in Um, the special abilities are asymmetric um, which i did really enjoy Uh, i do love a good asymmetric character uh, and playing the different characters did give the game a different feel you have your different characters which are better at doing certain things than others uh, especially once their special abilities get into play, you do unlock those through uh, these fulfilling these conditions. Uh, and there's two of them. Uh, one is always going to be kind of your color pattern in your forest, like how you have your forest lay it out. You just need to draw, um, you know, a, a line that goes through all the different uh, colored cards in that color order and I am going to be talking about this in a minute uh, because that's going to be my big uh, detractor here and then the other one is going to be kind of different things um, mostly about placement getting things out on the board in any specific spot um, but yeah I really did like the asymmetry uh, the fact that you could do things that your opponents couldn't Uh, And that you were really, really good at doing something and you could play into that. I really did like that. Uh, The rule book was slightly awkward in a couple of places, Uh, you know, kind of describing the rules order of uh, when certain things happened. Uh, You know, you were kind of looking for something in a certain section and it didn't show up there, it showed up in another section. And I did find that awkward. I didn't know if that was maybe a, a translation issue or what, but, um, you know, I did find that rule book to be uh, slightly awkward um, and a little bit tough to grasp exactly what was going on. Uh, I also do highly recommend the player aids that can be found on BGG uh, for your first couple of times. But by midway through the second game, we were pretty much on our own without the rule book, and and we were off and running. Um, you know, it there are symbols that aren't exactly super clear to begin with. You need that player reference, and then once you have it down, it's pretty easy. Um, so. Let's go back to that forest color placement. Uh, there are color vision issues with the forest. Uh, I had a very tough time with this, and um, it, it's my one detraction from this game, really. Um, you know, So really trying to unlock those guide conditions, those asymmetric player powers, um, it's really important that you know, OK, this is what I'm shooting for. These are the tiles I'm looking at. And you, in general, don't want to let people at the table know what you're going for. Um, they can kind of see what you're what you're doing and what your uh, goals are, but you don't want to make it super apparent and super obvious. It might give them a little bit of an advantage for hate drafting. Um, so I I think I do want to mark up uh, my copy of this to fix this issue. Uh, there's a green and red uh, disparity. And um, definitely had a, an issue there. Unfortunately., uh, the blue was fine. The blue was absolutely fine. <laughs> had no problem with that. Uh, but the the green and red were really uh, kind of my two two big ones that that I had the issue with. Um, I'm also interested in the longevity of the game once you played through all the characters. You've seen those asymmetric player powers. you played through all of them. Um, you know, there's a lot of sameness uh to the game, you know, and what you're trying to achieve is just character dependent um but depending on what cards come out, you could uh, vary up the abilities that you're trying to get so try for different combos and and that. but there's there's kind of a couple of obvious combos that you're going for with each player. Uh, one specifically stood out to me for uh each of the the characters that I played so, Um, But overall, I really enjoyed uh, the game and I enjoyed it a lot more on the second playthrough. I would definitely recommend checking out a video and then a playthrough. Uh, Even the videos out there aren't super clear about, you know, what exactly happens when, you know, strategy, that kind of thing, um, to really understand what the core of the game is about and then, you know, understanding how you can utilize your actions and cards to the fullest. Uh, Some of the things like discarding cards and not being afraid to just discard your entire hand and start over, um, you know, with something that you really need. Um, You know, if you really need one sort of resource, just discard your hand, you know, so that you can get that. Um, It's not going to set you back that much, and it can actually advance you forward a lot faster than you normally would have uh, if you're sitting on one card of... Uh, that type and don't have any cards that are going to help you otherwise Um, and if you play this game you'll kind of see what I'm talking about with that Um, but yeah other than that once you have it down it is a very beautiful game Uh, it has some very fun unique card play especially playing off of the backs of cards and and trying to um, you know build up your own strength in relationships to your neighbors and then uh playing uh these other cards when your neighbors are strong uh getting those cards in your hand it's it's a very interesting dynamic that you have um so this will be absolutely staying in my collection uh will be returning to the table after i do make that markup uh for the color vision issue that i did have um but yeah that was tribes of the wind And the next game I wanted to talk about is Murder, We Wrote. Uh, This was from 2023. Uh, Three to eight players, 20 to 30 minutes, designed by Anthony Thorpe, graphic design by Lauren Yu, and published by Kesco. As the host of the podcast reveal the name for the victim of that round, other players will assume the role of someone close to the victim, playing cards and giving an interview on who they think murdered the victim and how. At the end of the round, the host will decide what the true ending is. But watch out, each player has a hidden twist card that can change everything. With hundreds of different potential victims, murders, deaths, and twists, there are infinite stories to tell. Uh, So, again, this was a review copy of the game, uh, (laughs) furnished, rather, uh, by Kess Games, so thank you to them for furnishing that. Uh, Basically, you are the host of a uh, murder podcast, and you're interviewing people uh, that are related somehow, you know, whether through actual relations or whether they sold uh, the murder victim, you know, candy or coffee at some point, Um, there's a lot of different witness types uh, that come up and you're going to try to be telling uh, your side of the story and um, exactly how this person died and who the uh, murderer was. And they're all, like, really fun characters, so they're all, like, different. Um, one of them was Beetlejuice. Um, you know, you, you had uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, that kind of thing. So kind of goofy uh, things. And then the murder weapons were uh, kind of goofy as well, uh, which, which made it just a, a lighter, um, you know, kind of party game. Uh, this does utilize a very standard party game formula of a judge and players look to have the best or most convincing card combo. There's nothing super new here when it comes to that. Uh, it is very tried and true. It is, you know, very much, you know, your standard party game formula. Um, This game does play well with people who like to improv. Uh, Our best rounds were spent, you know, really getting into it, really hamming it up. I was interviewing the players, kind of doing a little bit of back and forth as a podcast host. Um, This appealed to me. Uh, as well, uh, you know, because I was really able to uh, kind of extract different things and and kind of um, ask different questions and that. And um, I do think that this game really is best when you have players who are going to kind of invest in that improv and that. Uh, the given cards again were very fun lots of varied pop culture references there are a ton of them in the box you're not going to run out anytime soon I think there is something like five hundred and twenty five cards in the uh in the core box uh, between your witnesses your uh, murderers slash victims or multi-use cards which is nice and then um you know your your witness types or uh, your murder weapons, uh, whichever one I didn't say. Um, so there was a little bit of confusion on those witness cards uh, from the rule book. I did find that they could use a little bit more clarity as far as uh, saying exactly how many to deal out. Is it one? Um, you know, when to deal it out, that kind of thing. There's not a huge amount in the um, in the rules, but the rules are super short. They're super, you know, quick to learn. Uh, which was very nice. Um, and trying to get into a game night uh, that was a nice way of of kind of starting. Uh, that said, I do find that this is definitely best to close out the night when you're looking for good, silly fun when you're, you know, kind of shutting your analytical brain off and just, you know, uh, running on that uh, very creative side of your brain. That's really when this is going to shine, when you're just kind of looking to have a good time and and have that good, silly fun. So, again, nothing super new from mechanics or anything like that. But I did find this a fun experience, um, you know, from being able to ham it up and and really uh, get into that uh, mode where I'm interviewing people and and that. So, um you know, this this is probably going to stay around on my shelves. Um, again, as Cards Against Humanity continues to collect dust, uh, with the other better alternatives available, uh, this is going to be for my improv friends, for uh, people who really just want to chill out and enjoy, and you know, really. Uh, spice up their game nights uh, with that party game uh, formula and still have that kind of familiarity where it's super easy to teach and super easy to get into. Um, so, if you're looking for something a little bit different, Murder We Wrote and Dawn from 2022. Uh, this is three to five players, 25 to 45 minutes. Designed by Taylor Hayward and art by Angela Rizza published by green meadow games set in ancient northern europe dawn blends strategy with unique player dynamics as the town is being built there are threats that players need to decide if they want to fight in the midst of this players also have to deduce who is helping and who isn't the game is played over the course of six rounds Each round consists of three phases. First players draw cards until they have nine in their hands, then they select one to put into their storehouse. During the second phase, each player plays cards to either perform an action, such as heal another player or spy on a threat, try to build a building by playing a resource card face down in front of it, or try to thwart a threat by putting a card face down by those. Finally, there is a resolution phase where the cards played face down are shuffled and revealed to see if a building has been built or a threat has been thwarted. At the end of the game, it is revealed who is a co-op player who was going for a single player victory based on the amount of treasure each player has stored in their storehouse. That should have been an and in there. So basically you have a co-op player, um that is trying to build the village up and then you have scoundrels who are trying to get a single player victory um you know based on the amount of treasure that they have there needs to be 30 prosperity points worth of buildings built for each co-op player or the co-op players fail if they fail then the player with the most treasure stored in their personal storehouse wins the game uh, so again, this was also a review copy. Uh, this was provided by Taylor Hayward. So thank you to Taylor for letting me check this out. Uh, he did get a hold of me and said, hey, you know, uh, I've got this game. Do you want to check it out? And I looked at it. Um, you know, I, I do get requests every once in a while to take a look at games. Some of them are very interesting. Uh, I try to stick to the ones that are in my wheelhouse. I do think that I'm going to enjoy And judging by the mechanic on this, this is what really interested me, Um, the mechanic of the self-identified role, um, you know, as opposed to having, you know, designated traders and, um, you know, the the co-op players. Um, So that really intrigued me where you are just going through and your actions define the role that you have um this played very well during this game um it made for a very unique decision space um I really, really liked what this game did. Um, I thought that that was very different. I haven't seen anything like that uh, in any of the games that I've played where you have that evolved role uh, that gets revealed at the end of the game. Uh, This did take a round to get into the swing of things, but uh, fortunately you can kind of set yourself up to be role neutral at first while you're getting the hang of things to see where you want to sit. And then rounds two through six really flew by once we got into the game. Uh, The first round did take us quite a while to just kind of get everybody on the same page, get everybody on board. Um, Unfortunately, there was uh, one of the players at our table kind of needed additional help. And, you know, she was kind of relying on one of the other players to give her that help uh, during the first round. And, And by... I I would say mid-round two, she was also very self-sufficient. So um, I I definitely think most players will kind of get it by the end of round one. They'll be pretty much set to go. Um, It was a super close score. Uh, Again, it was 30 points per player that you needed uh, to have a co-op victory, Uh, We had 88 points for three co-op ally players, uh, so that made a 90-point threshold. Uh, We didn't quite make it. We were very close. It could have come down to any of the cards, um, and unfortunately, we weren't uh, able to make it. One other interesting thing is the buildings that you're building out have different point values on them. Uh, You can use those spy cards to kind of see what the point value is of a card that you're trying to work towards, Um, but that's also a card that you're not spending doing something else. Um, There's buildings like little tiny buildings that come up uh, during rounds uh, one through five and then great buildings that you're working on the entire game. Uh, that require different symbols as opposed to treasure values um, that you're working on. And this was one that I thought was pretty interesting because you're not contributing on uh, those cards that you're you're basically putting down uh, to try to uh, see what your uh, point values are under the little buildings. Uh, that's something that you're not contributing to a great building. So you do have to be careful with that. That is a, a pretty interesting decision. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I I thought that the mechanics of it were very, very cool, uh, very tight. And you had a lot of very interesting uh, decisions that felt weighty. Um, so, yeah, hitting a lot of really good points for me. Uh, the card stock was great quality, but it was also super stiff. It was very difficult to separate the cards. Um, I would recommend breaking them in a bit, you know, really getting them shuffled, really breaking them in. Um, you could also get sleeves, but you may have issues storing everything in the box. The box is a tight fit, um, but it's a it's it's a small, very compact, very portable box as well. Um, so you, you kind of have to take that into consideration as well. Um, this is not going to be one that you're going to be able to get out super quick, um, right out the gate. You're going to want to break those cards in a little bit, uh, as it was very hard to shuffle up and deal. Uh, the artwork was very unique, uh, but also very aesthetically pleasing. Um, you know, very different, very, uh, it, it seemed, Kind of that medieval aesthetic, which um, you know, kind of ties back into that ancient Northern Europe, um, but it's it's not that Renaissance artwork that you're used to in most games. It, it's more of a, a pre-Renaissance, pre-Medieval uh, kind of art. Um, that really did seem to hit for me. It was it was really very cool. Um, no color vision issues whatsoever. Great double coding that was on there. Uh, lots of very good symbology. Uh, not very difficult to, to pick up on at all. I will say that the rules layout could have been a little bit more clear, uh, but it's not the worst I've ever seen um not a huge amount of examples it did try to be a very compact uh you know rule book that would fit in very nicely in the box and that did take away you know some of the the more elaborate examples that you could make and and really um you know put some more pictures in uh, that kind of thing, I think that would have uh, potentially helped, um, you know, clarify a few things for us. Um, but yeah, the the small box size does make this portable enough, you can take it with you on trips, you know, and, um, and have this, it's, it's a fun little card game to have with you. Um, so my final thoughts on this, this was a wonderfully unique play on a, a very heavily utilized mechanic. Um the, the trader mechanic is kind of old as time. You know, it, it's something that's very uh you know very much explored. Um I didn't think that there was gonna be huge amount of space in there for something different, but this really does Uh, do something uh, quite different and quite unique Uh, i'd like to go explore taylor's other game in the series darkness Uh, he does have plans to make two more from what i understand uh, as well Uh, so this one will be staying on my shelves i do want to explore this a little bit more uh, different player counts we played it um, when we played it we played it at four Um, So I'd I'd like to play it at five. I'd like to play it at three. See how that dynamic kind of shifts a little bit. I do think, you know, your four and five is going to be where this this hits the best. Um, But yeah, yeah, this is one uh, definitely if you want to uh, get something that's kind of under the radar, it seems right now, um, but a really cool game, check out Dawn. So coming up, you're going to hear the live chat that I had with Dave Beck of Paverson Games, so stay tuned. Well, welcome back. On today's episode, we are here live at Origins Game Fair 2023, and I am here with Dave Beck. Dave, why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself? Sure, Arwen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, my name is Dave.
1: I am the owner of Paverson Games, but also the designer of Distilled. Um, I'm from Wisconsin uh... and uh... it's been a crazy journey i took this on the kickstarter distilled on the kickstarter a couple years ago um, and it's finally fulfilled the backers and available uh...
0: worldwide now so really happy to be here at origins and I understand that you don't necessarily have a history with distilling, but you do have an appreciation for beverages,
1: is that correct? <laughs> that is right, yeah. So I'm, I'm much more of a, a, a drinker, uh, safe and responsible, of course, drinker, uh, than someone who crafts it, but I've visited and toured lots of distilleries. Uh, I've really studied that process, and I, I love a good, uh, a good whiskey or a,
0: a good uh, a craft spirit for sure. And what would you say that your favorite distilled beverage is?
1: Yeah, so this is, I'm going to get a little geeky here. Uh, So, um, of course, there's lots of really different types of distillation uh, processes and beverages. Whiskey is my favorite, but whiskey is a very big umbrella term all around the world. Um, It essentially means distilled grain spirit. So uh, what that means is some sort of grain would go into it. Um, For instance, um, people in America might drink a bourbon that's usually made from majority of corn or rye is obviously from rye. Um, But what I really like is a single malt whiskey. Uh, That is usually found over in Scotland. uh, And that is made entirely 100% from barley. Um, So water, barley and yeast are the only three ingredients that go into it. Uh, So definitely a single malt from Scotland. Uh, but then it digs a little deeper because my favorite type of um, single malt is called Laphroaig. Uh, that's from an island called Isla. And why I love it so much is that it's peaty. Uh, peaty whiskey essentially means it's kind of smoky. They've made that whiskey. They've malted the, the barley. using Instead of using uh, wood or coal, they've actually used peat, which is like you digging dirt up old, like from a peat bog. And it gives this really smoky flavor. Oftentimes, people will say, at least I do, uh, when I first tasted it, that it tastes kind of like a campfire in my mouth.
0: That sounds quite amazing. I need to (laughs) check that out for sure. I've never even heard of that before today. So (laughs) you're always educational. (laughs) Um, So kind of getting to the meat and potatoes Mm -hmm. of the discussion, I wanted you to discuss if it's not too traumatic for you. Uh, You know, a couple of the Kickstarter issues that you had in getting distilled to the hands of backers. Um, You did a fantastic job as a backer myself, um, you know, being super transparent. But I'd like you to just kind of go through some of the issues. I'm going to go
1: through it. And Arwen did bring me some tissues here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No no tissues today, and that's okay. I'm actually through that uh, stage. But it was tough there for a little bit. Uh, And real quick, I'll I'll go through kind of some background. I came up with this in 2019 and almost immediately had to bring it online because of the pandemic. I didn't even know about the idea of um, designing games and prototyping games online until that time. And when that happened, uh, I was able to meet and interact with people from all around the world. Uh, and I think that obviously grew the backer, uh, the, the fan base, but it also grew the team. Uh, I've, my developer's from England, I've got a community man- manager from uh, Singapore, so it's kind of really fun uh, to see this this collection of people that have, have come together around it. The Kickstarter was a phenomenal success, a surprise. I thought I was gonna raise like $100,000 if I was lucky, and I broke just over half a million, so it was ridiculous. Like big big money yes but that also can come with big problems (laughs) and big (laughs) mistakes maybe too so i've made a couple mistakes i'd like to think i've learned from and hopefully will apply uh... in the future but i would say the biggest one that was uh... the biggest kind of roadblock if you will was not a mistake it was something i could not have predicted Um, essentially i was on we were on track to fulfill this uh... by a certain date the games were on boats they were coming across the Pacific. They were going around the Mediterranean to the UK. Um, the games landed uh, and got loaded onto train cars for for us in North America. It was in Canada, and then was going to ship down uh, through on through over the border into Indianapolis, where it was going to then be fulfilled uh, to all people across across the United States. Well, I was set to meet with that company um, uh, right before. Uh, um, the the games were going to be arriving in indianapolis so i had a meeting set up well five minutes before i kid you not five minutes before i had that meeting i got an email from them saying we're sorry to inform you that fun again logistics which is the company i was working with is closing down for good in two months time and all everything needs to be out of our warehouse and we are not we're stopping and halting all fulfillment uh so as you can imagine i kind of had a Oh my God, it was bad. And then then I had to get on the phone with all of them and have this meeting. And they didn't send that to me, they sent it to everybody. And I just happened to have that meeting at the same time. Um, Well, suffice to say, even though that was very hard, I can only imagine for the people working at that company and having to find new careers, uh, it was obviously tough for us. Uh, I became my own logistics person. Um, I had to figure out how I was gonna get the games. who had arrived in Indianapolis by that time then, after a couple days. had been unloaded, I had to get them re put repacked on pallets, reloaded onto trucks, and then I had a caravan of, I think, four trucks that went down to Quartermaster Logistics in Florida, who then fulfilled the game, and I had a couple more trucks go up to Canada as well. And as you can imagine, none of those costs was something I could foresee, and that was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you can imagine, paying for a semi to, to sent multiple semis. but. At the, end, at the end of the day, it all worked out. My backers understood. I really tried to make sure every step of the way, I was communicating to them, I was being transparent uh, about the situation. Uh, yes, we didn't deliver fully on time, but we were pretty darn close. And it was interesting because of me being, I think, because of me being transparent about the situation, the backers came forward and you know made comments about you know, understanding. Again, we're all human. Um, And so that was was a good moment for me to realize community is so important in this industry, any industry, but especially this industry as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. And again, as a backer, it was much appreciated, you know, because I think there's nothing worse than wondering where your Kickstarter is and not having that transparency and not having that idea of like what's going on where is this is it out lost at sea is it under (laughs) the sea with a submarine somewhere (laughs) um this this won't age well but um (laughs) anyways yeah as a as a backer i mean i think he did a great job with that thank you yeah thank you you know i felt comfortable every single step of the way with the progress and, Mm -hmm. and how everything was going so Um, One other thing that I did mention on the show that I wanted to talk to you about uh, was the card art. There Mm -hmm. is such diverse representation from all areas, whether it be skin color or, um, you know, that LGBTQ representation. Mm -hmm. But it's very subtle Mm -hmm. and not kind of in a a hit you in the face way. Mm -hmm. It's just very organic. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about that and how that process came about.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm glad you recognized that. That was something that was a decision between the artist and me um, that was it was really important that we integrated that in the game. And I, I like what you said about subtle, because that really was our goal. Um, I, I think it's, I mean, no matter what, it's important to help people understand that um, there are so many amazing people out there. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter um, who you are, what your skin color is, uh, what your practice is, um, uh, where you where you uh, find yourself on any sort of spectrum, honestly. Uh, it's really important to help people understand that, but I didn't want to do something where it was um, so much in someone's face that if they happen to be a type of person that is unfortunately maybe not accepting, or in many times not understanding exactly what what they're looking at or what they're dealing with. Um, I wanted to make it so that they could understand that it's just like everybody else. Um, The specialists, it doesn't matter, the specialists, sorry, working in the distillery, that job that might be, that might be uh, a, a trans person, that might be someone of a different skin color, it doesn't matter, they're all doing the job just as well as everybody else. Yep. Uh, and so what that does is, it's a subtle way to uh, just infuse that into the game in a way that, oh, I happen to be playing as a character, as, as an example, the characters are historic, the distillers, I have to be playing as a, a character from France who happens to be a, a knight, uh, kind of, dressed in knight armor, And the way that Eric, our artist, depicted this character on the front really did help you to understand I'm not sure uh, who this gender is, and frankly, I shouldn't care who this gender is. And on the back, we subtly wrote the biography to a way that would help people kind of understand that a little bit more. It does not get in the way of gameplay as it doesn't need to because it's a person, in this case, who specialized in making brandy, <laughs> but but still, um, so we that was really important to us. And I, I think the other thing I'd really wanna say here is I wanna give major props to Eric Evanson, our artist. Um, He, we both knew we wanted to do this, but he was the one that was able to do that subtle uh, infusion throughout the process, um, uh, representing different types of people uh, to allow those players to be able to discover them on their own and hopefully create a little bit of a narrative as well within their mind. When they see these people in their distillery working or they see the the distiller itself, uh, how they can start to think about how that plays out um, as a player, but also as a story too.
0: Yeah, and it just translates so incredibly well. And Eric wasn't actually on my radar at all as an artist, Mm -hmm. um, but he certainly is now. So, I did a little internet research, and it said that you are a professor Uh-oh. at the University of Wisconsin <laughs> Stout for Game Design. That's right. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that and how you got that job. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah so um, I, yep, guilty as charged. I'm a professor. I've been uh, working in higher education for, ooh, 15 plus years now. Um, long story short, uh, I was, I've always been an artist and I fell more into 3D modeling and animation that then that led me into video game design. Um, And I was hired at Stout to kind of create the art side of the video game uh, program, that was years ago. Um, And I think that really attributes a little bit to why in Distilled I want people to learn about all these things. Uh, some of them, like we just talked about, are more subtle. Some are more in your face in the sense of like, this is the distilling process, or here's a fun fact on the bottom of this card. Uh, I, I, I believe very strongly in the idea that you should be having fun when you're playing games, but you should also be learning something as well. It's, it's a more enriching experience. It makes for a more thematic experience as well that way. Um, but yes, I am a professor. Right now, actually, I don't sadly get to teach much uh, because I am actually I direct the whole school of art and design there, so. Uh, that's kind of my full-time job and then this is the job i love which is uh making
0: games yeah and i think you hit the nail on the head when you say um everything should probably be a learning experience mm-hmm. or it's better when it's a learning mm-hmm. experience um i've seen that lately with stonewall uprising votes mm-hmm. for women mm-hmm. distilled mm-hmm. i came away knowing more than what i did when i came into the yep, game yep. and that to me is a way of conveying that information still being fun uh, but being a uh, kind of conveyor, a sneaky little conveyor for Yeah, exactly, that's, good. that's a good nuggets. way of saying it, yeah. <laughs> so what is next for you? I know what's next for you, but what is yeah. coming up next? Oh, exciting, so uh,
1: again, and you're gonna be learning more, I'm afraid, uh, but in the vein of uh, that idea of focus on integrating theme and mechanics strongly together, uh, the next game that we're gonna be uh, bringing to crowdfunding, uh, probably Kickstarter, is Luthier the art of the instrument. So uh, for those that don't know out there, luthier, a luthier is a job and what that means is they are a maker and repairer of stringed instruments. Um, uh, so it's obviously a much more kind of historic, classical type of term. Um, uh, we in luthier are also allowing people to be able to make other instruments too. The concept is that you are a family, a luthier family, an instrument making family in the golden age of classical music. Um, and you are crafting different sorts of instruments for patrons. They might be composers or performers or nobles, and you're crafting those and then you're going to be placing them into an orchestra yourself uh, that that is kind of in the center of the board. The main mechanics uh, have to do with hidden bidding worker placement, um, as well as a little bit of tableau building, a little bit of resource management, and definitely some recipe fulfillment again. So for the fans of Distilled, you're going to see a little bit of comparisons there. Uh, but the main mechanic is uh, hidden bidding worker placement. What that means is that we might, uh, like Arwen, you and I might be playing against each other and we might have a family of workers. Those workers are depicted by little chips, uh, circular chips that have numbers on the bottom. A one, a three, a five. Um, the five is you. You are the head of your, your luthier shop. The one that might be your kid that just started yesterday. I'm going to maybe go to a location on the board to maybe get new plans for an instrument or do a performance or meet a patron. And you might decide you want to do the exact same thing I did. So you're going to put a worker down there on top of mine. It might come back around the table again. Maybe other people did that too. I might even decide to send another one there. Either way, when it's time for us to resolve, we lay those chips out in the order they were placed. And uh, so for instance, you you might have gone first there and I might have gone second. So you technically would get first choice of that, different options and choices at that, and actions at that location. But if I send a worker that was more skilled, higher skilled, like a five, I, I elbow you to the side and I go to the front of the line and I get first choice. And I also get a bonus because if I send a high value worker, a high skilled worker somewhere, I get a bonus too. So, you've gotta decide where you're gonna send your most skilled worker. Are you gonna have them work on your your great instrument back at your workshop, or are you gonna send them out to do something in in public on the main board? So we're really excited about it. It's gonna be a little heavier, about a 3.5 on BGG scale. I'm co-designing this with someone else named Abe Burson. Um, So the two of us are co-designing it. And I'm very, very excited to say that Vincent Dutrait is gonna be the artist for the game as well. Yes, so uh, lots of characters, uh, lots of instruments uh, that's gonna be illustrated, so we're very looking forward to to Luthier
0: coming out next year. And I am too. I absolutely love worker placement games, so that's right up my alley. (laughs) And the final question I have for you is something I ask everybody. What's currently on your table?
1: (laughs) Okay, so so sadly, Arwen, what's currently on my table is literally on my table because I only got through half of the game before I came to Origins. So it's sitting there waiting for me and I'm excited. Uh, So what that is, is Darwin's journey. Uh, so worker placement, <laughs> be still my heart. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really good. It's so good. I don't get a chance as, as much as I used to, to to play as much multiplayer. So this is actually, I, I cracked into the solo mode for this. Um, I'm about two or three rounds into the five rounds. So it's kind of waiting for me on my, on my table when I get home. Um, but. I oftentimes will play games in research, so it's like worker placement, okay, is that going to help me determine anything else for Luthier? So that was one reason I was drawn to it, but I really am enjoying Darwin's journey quite a lot. Obviously very, not similar, but kind of a neat parallel to, you know, you can upgrade your workers in that one with the the seals, and in Luthier, your workers have different skills from the get-go. So I'm really excited to kind of see what I can learn from that and see if it'll affect Luthier at all
0: as well. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your playthrough with it because I certainly did. And the game ramps up immensely as as it kind of progresses. Really, cool. Uh, it it is so good. Nice. It was uh, kind of in the running right now for yeah. Game of the Year. Nice. It's early. Yeah, yeah. But still, that's awesome. Um, no, great. How can people get a hold of you on socials?
1: Yeah. So I am. My handles Paverson on on. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, and Paverson Games on uh, Facebook. They can find pretty much everything at paversongames.com too, as far as other socials too. So uh, whatever your, your fancy is, whatever flavor cocktail you like for the socials, you can
0: choose that one. Oh, fantastic. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. And everybody go check out Distilled, available now. Thanks, Arwen. And I think that's going to do it for us today. If you want to know more information about Cardboard Time, please check out our website at CardboardTime.com. Our Instagram and Twitter is at Cardboard underscore Time. And any questions or suggestions, ideas for discussion topics, please email CardboardTime at gmail.com. And as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you around the table in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time.